powerful stuff, guys. It's powerful stuff. Well, hello, Michelle. Hello, Geordie. Look at you looking sexy today. Thanks. Sexy. Little one shoulder. What do they call it? Cold shoulder number. I've got cold the cold shoulder. shoulder for you, Michelle. Welcome to eavesdropping people who are eavesdropping. Welcome. Mm. <laughs> well, she's Geordie. I'm Michelle. Welcome, and, welcome, welcome. And you're listening in. Yes. So if you've got any complaints, then don't be such an eavesdropper. Although do. I'm always giving mixed messages, aren't I? You always are, but that's life. Life is full of mixed messages. That's right. What mixed messages have you had this week, Michelle? Well, one mixed message I had was a new word that I learned. Is it gamut? (laughs) Again, our target. Where the bloody hell are you? God, where the bloody hell are you? I do hope we haven't upset any... Uh, Australian fans of the Prime Minister from last week's episode, by the way, because we don't know how that went down because we don't live in the country. So, apology, apologies. (laughs) I can't even say my ridiculous version of the word apologies. Apologies from me, apologies to you. Why do I always sound so Australian? Well, I learn a new word. What is it? Uh, well, these lovely gay boys came is it into the restaurant. No, no, <laughs> better than that. These lovely gay boys came into the restaurant the other day, and when they found out that I was Australian, they were like, "Ah, oh, what do you reckon? Do you think she's a snogan? What's a snogan?" I said, "What the hell's a snogan?" And they said, "A snobby bogan." That's what you are, Michelle. They've hit the nail on the head. I said, you're out of your little fucking minds. I'm not a snobby bogan. How Where are they from? You? Well, they were Swiss, but they'd been living oh. in Sydney. Anyway. Oh, so they knew about the snogans. I would have thought a snogan would be uh, a bogan in the Alps. Fuck you. Because <laughs> <laughs> no, of the snow, you know. <laughs> oh, I'm rhyming like a gooden. I mooted this with my sister. Did you moot it? I, I mooted it. I said, <laughs> I need to moot something with you. <laughs> <laughs> what does even moot mean? I don't know. That's I've a got, moot it's point. It's a moot point. <laughs> Jinx. <laughs> but I did. I mooted the snogan with her and she said, fuck, I've never heard that before. But I, off the top of her head, she could list 10 people she knew who fit right into that snogan category. So there oh, you right. go. You weren't one of them, of course. And I, no. well, I actually said to the boys at the time, I said, well, what is a snobby bogan? I said, is it someone who shops at Country Road instead of buying a flanny from Kmart? And they were like, yes. Ah. I don't know. Do you know what? Aussies, get in touch. Get in touch. Get in touch because we're so out of touch. Well, I feel like I intrinsically can relate to what a snogan might be, but maybe putting a definition on it's harder. Don't give me that look. I'm not a fucking snobby bogan. <laughs> you bitch. You're the snogan. You're from you're from Bime's Bay. You're <sighs> from the Bay. I am definitely <laughs> from the sand. The sa- I've come out of the sand. I didn't wear shoes until I was 14, apart from having to wear them at school. Yes. Mm. I am. Well, I don't think that's a bogan, though. That's more of a beach bum. Snogan. 
No, I think the suburbans, <laughs> the suburbanites know more about Bergens than the beach loving country girls. I'm a bay wit. <laughs> anyway, look, moving forward. I Moving forward, I also heard from Jen. Oh, Jen. Yes, she was a bit distressed about the cat killing episode. Right. Yeah, lots of trigger warnings there. Although your husband had a had a little he had an issue with your poo camp story. He said we would have lost a lot of listeners. <laughs> yeah, he said that needed What's a wrong? massive trigger warning. And I think one friend of ours, Hannah, Mrs. Hannah Huggis of of Surrey, uh, she said she wasn't prepared. As I think she had a mouth full of food or something at the moment. It was a juice <laughs> dropper. <laughs> she she quite literally <laughs> dropped her juice. <laughs> Well, Jen was a bit upset by the cat killing story, as you would be. Any cat lover would have been of course. mortified and, and horrified by that story. But she interestingly sent me a link, which I couldn't actually read because uh, it was to a Camper Times article. And if you're not a subscriber, a paid uh. subscriber to the Camper Times, you can't actually read the article. So I did get the gist of the story, though, which was basically in Canberra. In Canberra, there is a cat shooter. Hang on. There is a suburb in Canberra called Canberra, yes. which is confusing. K-A-M-B-A-H. Yes. Canberra. Bah. Not Canberra, but no. without the R, yeah. it's Canberra. Uh, there's a cat shooter. Oh, no. Shooter? Yeah, there's a picture of, I think it was Winky, who had, oh. weirdly, just one eye now because he, the other eye got shot off. Oh, you bastard. He survived, but... That's very Bush Bush Creek. What's it called? Wolf Creek. I don't like that. But uh, there was also um, in Garen, there is a... Another suburb. Killer, another suburb. Yeah, it says a cat killer. So look, and this was as recently as um, the 21st of June. So really just oh, a mate. few weeks ago. So people, lock up your cats. Lock up your cats. And also, if you have any... If you have any suspicions that somebody in your family or circle of friends is harming animals, it, yeah. you, you'd do good to maybe look into it, report it. Yeah. Because those people need help, not just the animals that are at risk here. Yeah, I think the RSPCA are, they're involved. But like like you say... The police um, need to be involved as well. Starts with cats, ends with people. Yeah. Sometimes. Anyway, there we Don't go. Don't want to alarm you. Jesus now on high alert. <laughs> Michelle, let's change the subject. Awkward. What are we talking about today, please? Well, I thought we were talking about psychic detectives. Oh, I believe we are. Are we? All right. Well, there you go. Well, I'd, I'd spoken to you earlier in the week telling you I had a few cases. but That's right. I actually scrapped them all and went with a whole new one. Oh, my God. What? Last minute. Last minute because, honestly, I have dug deep on the internet I have found so many cases of psychics helping police to solve crimes and you know we are going back you know to the 80s to the 90s but today I actually decided to talk about this one case uh, from 2004. Can I just say quickly though that we have already done psychic investigations and psychic detectives we did that probably i can't remember what number we've done two episodes right so because people love them we've got more there's more to tell 
There is. And this particular theme will run and run because, like I said, I have found so many cases. And to me, it's amazing. Yeah. It is amazing. Gosh, I'm so sorry. I should really have looked up which episodes they are, but Doesn't I will matter. link to those episodes yeah. in the show notes. There's an amazing guy called Dennis McKenzie, isn't there, who helped solve the Soa murder case. And he's quite yes. spectacular. Yes, and we did have actually a YouTube eavesdropper get in touch saying she, because of our episode, went and had a psychic reading with Dennis. With him. So, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, look, this it's powerful stuff, guys. It's powerful stuff. But, yeah, we have – this is our third episode on psychic detectives. And, oh. look, for me, I felt this case was super interesting because – in most instances, it's the family or the police that are reaching out to psychics um, to help them locate either missing persons or, you know, help with murder investigations. Mm. But this time, it was the spirit, the ghost oh. of a murdered woman <gasps> who got in touch with the psychic. Wow. And she asked this psychic uh, through visions and dreams to help her bones be discovered. Oh, my God. That sounds like that book, The Bone Collector. No. I've never read it. No, it's not called that anyway, so don't scrap that. <laughs> it's called, it's the one about the little girl. They're all about a little girl. Stanley or a Tucci's in it. Oh, my uh, God. I can't remember. It's gone. Okay, well, look, you hold that thought. Get back to I'll us hold on that it. Because the reason I scrapped the other stories in favour of this one, because for me, this is really like a bit of a twist on the usual psychic detective I like cases. it already, Michelle. Yes, well, hold on to your hats. Um, so this is the case of Ashley Howley. So, like I said, 2004, we're going back to June 16. When 20-year-old Ashley Howley from Columbus, Ohio, they're all in America. I always feel bad for those poor Americans. Anyway. The lovely bones. It's just come to me. The lovely the bones. The lovely bones. That's okay. It. I've read that. Saoirse Ronan, isn't it? I've read the book. Haven't seen the film. Okay. Do you know what? There are shades of that in this. Okay. Tell us a story, Mish. Sorry, I keep interrupting. No, no, no. Okay. 16th of June, 2004, 20-year-old Ashley Howley from Columbus, Ohio. She called the police to report that her ex-boyfriend, Robert McMichael II, uh-huh. don't know why that's important, but we're just going to call him Robert from now on. Okay. She rang the police to tell them that he'd assaulted her and look I'm not sure if the police went round to her flat when she called or like or if she just rang in the assault and they just took details over the phone but either either way the next day Ashley went missing so the police did some minor investigation from what I could gather when I was investigating this case after she had been reported missing went and took a look at her apartment and they discovered that her car had been abandoned in a parking lot near her apartment Uh but to be honest I don't know for certain how much investigation they really did into her disappearance because and I don't want to say this in any negative way but it's something that we come up against time and time again when we're investigating real life cases of murder or you know missing persons you mean you and I investigating you and I you mean Googling. Googling. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, Googling. <laughs> Investor Googling. You make us sound like we're running some kind of tight ship here. <laughs> <laughs> it's just Google, guys. We've told you this before. <laughs> so when we were in Googling, 
we've, when we've been looking at cases before, it seems like this is a theme that women who are, you know, sex workers or strippers, they don't really get their their cases looked at properly. And no. look, Ashley was a stripper in a, in a local bar and this is why – look, and I don't know this for certain, but there has been speculation on the internet that because she was a stripper – it kind of lowered the, the level of interest that police took in her case. All right. Well, we can only speculate on that, but there has been anecdotal and recorded well, there's, evidence there's in the past. there's been speculation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, but that can anyway, be the case. D- aside from that, what's for sure is that pretty quickly Ashley's case went cold because aside from her ex, Robert, there weren't actually any real leads to chase as to where she might be. So, as time went on... I think the police kind of figured out that foul play was probably a factor in her disappearance and that Ashley was probably dead. And for a year and a half, the case came to pretty much a standstill with police being no closer to finding her or the presumed killer. Right. Until one night, a woman called Christy Robinette in Michigan And look, I looked this up because I didn't know where Michigan was in relation to Ohio, but it's the next state to Ohio, which sounds close, but it's like... Those states are big. Yeah, it's like at least 900 kilometres away, which is what, Sydney to Canberra? No, Canberra to Melbourne, Canberra Melbourne. to Melbourne. That's a five-hour drive. Yeah, so... more? More, it's like eight hours. So it's, it's far, but anyway. So this woman, Christy Robinette, who I might add is actually a psychic... She was woken up in the middle of the night by a ghost in her bedroom who told her that she'd been murdered and that she needed somebody to help her lead the police to where her body was. At this point, apparently the ghost did not reveal her name and her message was pretty jumbled. And this ghost only gave Christy a few bits of information with this in this first vision. But it was a really sharp vision and Christy saw the face of this pretty young blonde girl with brown eyes really clearly. So she thought, fuck, you know, I've, I've got to do something about this. So what do you do? Yeah, get on the internet. That's what you do. Google. I wasn't quite sure if that's what you did, but now I know that's <laughs> what you do. <laughs> so she got on the net and she started Googling and she apparently Googled things like young blonde girl missing And I think there were also some details which I haven't found, um, but she also popped those into the internet, details that the ghost had given her when in that vision. She eventually came across this news report from another state with an image of a young blonde girl who was missing and she thought, that's it, you know, that's, that's the girl from the vision. And finally she had a name for her ghost and it was Ashley Howley. Wow. So Christy called the police and told them about her vision, vision, Vision. It's a vision. It's not a vision. It's a vision. (laughs) vision. Uh, Which in this instance, like I said, this first vision was quite vague. But she was apparently able to describe the clothes that Ashley had been wearing on the night she disappeared. And police... Oh, my God. Yeah, started taking... Christy Hang seriously on. they hadn't they hadn't advertised no that. they had not right. released okay. that information so uh, the police actually put Christy in touch with Ashley's family and over the next few months Ashley repeatedly came to Christy in visions and dreams with new clues and bits of info 
about her disappearance and her murder. But apparently, like I said, Ashley wasn't good at communicating clearly where mm. she was or who killed her. But as the as the, why can't I say visions? I was about to say visions. visions. <laughs> anyway, um, as the visions went on, she well, Christy felt that she was getting like stronger clues, and the info was getting more coherent. So eventually, she felt that. Ashley's body was in this particular place. So Christy called Ashley's cousin, Kerry Combs, and said, look, let's go to Three Creeks National Park, which is in Ohio, because I have a feeling that's where Ashley's body is. I'm getting nervous here, Michelle, because I don't I don't want her to do this without the police being involved, because we know what happens when you turn up to crime scenes when you're a... Yeah, they point the finger at you. They point the finger at you, yeah. yeah. So, like I said, this, you know, Christy had this really strong intuition about the park. She didn't take the police. She only took Kerry, right? And she felt pretty confident that, you know, she was going to find Ashley. But she wanted to go into the park on her own. So, she actually made Kerry stay at the entrance to the park and said, listen, don't come in with me. And in fact, when she was in the park searching for the body, a ranger came up to her and was like, "What the bloody hell are you doing?" She didn't say it like <laughs> he didn't say it like that. But anyway, um, the ranger came. Can up. I ask you what the hell you think you're doing? I think that's probably more how it went. But uh, what the hell do you? No, sorry. Carry on. <laughs> so she turned to the ranger and said, "I'm actually looking for a dead body." And the oh. ranger. <laughs> The ranger went, all right, let me help you. So, no, okay. So two hands are better than one, two two eyes, two sets of eyes. Yeah, so he escorted her around the park. And look, thing was that Christy started having all these visions of other people who had died in that park. Oh, no. Yeah, oh, no. really full on. And um, and other murder victims. But oh, God. she didn't see Ashley. And when she looked at the trees in the park – she realised she was in the wrong place because Uh Ashley had spoken to her and said, there are light-coloured pine trees, light-coloured pine trees. And she said to the ranger, where are the light-coloured pine trees in the park? And he said, there aren't any. There aren't any in this park. And she thought, fuck, I'm in the wrong place. So she went back to where Kerry was waiting for her and said, I'm so sorry, I've let you down. This is the wrong place. Ashley's not here. And she started crying. Kerry started crying. The ranger was really upset. And and Christy said that she just cried in the car the whole way home. Oh. She felt like she failed everyone. But then a few weeks later, one morning, when Christy was taking a shower, she heard weird noises in the bathroom and this whispering that was saying, murder, murder. And she felt really freaked out and she got out of the shower and there was Ashley in this super clear vision and she was crying. Ashley was crying and she kept saying over and over, I just wanted to be loved. I just wanted to be loved. Yeah, it's really, really sad. She then at that point gave Christy more clues about where her body was and she said – to Christy, it was her ex-boyfriend, Robert, who had murdered her. And finally, Christy felt like she had enough information to lead police and the family, including Kerry, to where 
Ashley's body was, which she this time around got Kerry and the police and led them to Robert's father's house. Ooh. Yeah. But she said the body was not at Robert's father's house. It was near it, near a thicket of light-coloured pine trees. Right. And she took them to this this spot where she said her body's here. Her body – and, like, she gave, like, within a few metres. My goodness. The body is here. But the thing was, the body was on the property of, of Robert's father's neighbour. Oh. And – the police thought, well, this is private property. We can't dig it up. And this psychic already had one failed attempt in that park. Right. Yeah. So, But that wasn't not documented by the police at that point, right? Apparently it was. Uh, apparently it was. Yeah. And the thing was that, yeah, because she'd had that sort of, you know, failed attempt at the Three Creeks National Park. Yeah, it turns out the police were not prepared to get a warrant to dig up this area that she had said. But what they did do was they got some sniffer dogs on the case and sort of got these dogs on because I guess that's a little easier to get some dogs a bit loose rather than, you know, having to alert people and get warrants and whatnot. But the thing is that Christie's tip didn't really like turn up anything because the sniffer dogs were let loose and they found no trace of her scent. So unfortunately, it all came to a dead end. And mind you, this was about two years after. So this was 2006, right? Fast forward to 2008 when a so-called friend of Robert's, uh, his name was Garrett Kalish, and look, I, I searched on the internet. I couldn't find out what his crimes were. But as part of a plea deal to get a lower sentence, mm. he said to police, listen, I know where Ashley's body is because Robert killed her and I can tell you exactly where where the body is. Oh. And lo and behold, he directed them to the property Next door to Robert's dad's house near a thicket of light-coloured pine trees in the exact spot that Christy had told the body was. But why hadn't the dog smelt it? Well, thing is, Robert had killed Ashley, buried her in a shallow grave and then poured quickset concrete over her body, which meant the dogs could not have any scent of her and mind you this was two years after so they did not find her body the dogs couldn't find her body because the concrete Mm -hmm. had been poured Mm -hmm. over her so basically christy was fucking boom bam straight on it all along she was right wow they then got a warrant to excavate that site and they found her remains and basically robert went to trial Mm. And he pleaded guilty. Oh, because I was a little concerned it might have been the other guy for a minute there. No, well, it turns out the other guy, Garrett, died three weeks later from a drug overdose. So good timing. He luckily gave the info to the police. But yeah, Christy was right on it. And Robert pleaded guilty. Yes, he pleaded guilty to the murder 
and received three life sentences. You want to know why? No. Yes, I do know why, but I don't know why. Why is it? (laughs) Because he also confessed to murdering his mother by strangling (gasps) her to death and to killing his mother's boyfriend by beating him to death with a shovel. So, dude was fucking sicko. He was just a sicko who killed Ashley, killed his mother, killed the mother's boyfriend. Why weren't the police, why wasn't he on the radar? These two people connected to him, three people have gone missing or turned up dead. Yeah, and he was on their radar and this all happened apparently. I was trying to read like court courtroom transcripts and things. So that's real investigation, Michelle. That's not just Googling. That's real. Oh, it's in Googling because, you know, it's all (laughs) online. But um, yeah, so apparently Robert was first charged with the murders of his mother and the boyfriend. And then when Garrett said, hey, look, he also killed Ashley and here's where the body is, they put it all together and managed to get like – enough to put him away he'll never be coming out of prison because he's got okay. three he's... life sentences right. and weirdly um when i was reading through some of the court transcripts uh they said that he was really emotionless and oh. just said yep i plead guilty yep Ooh. and they said it was really heartless but the court thanked him in a way for for pleading guilty because then it meant the family didn't have to go through listening to all the details of the three crimes, especially in the case of Ashley. Yeah, and also the thing was too that Ashley's remains, once they actually dug them up, were too decomposed for forensics to be able to establish the cause of her death. But apparently, yeah, he beat her to death. And And he also, and I don't know if this is connected to Ashley or not, but he did plead guilty to tampering. I've got air quotes here, tampering with a deceased Mm. body. I fucking hope that wasn't Ashley. What of Christy or what's her name again? Kirsty, Christy? Christy Robinette. Christy. So what what of her now? So she was vindicated in the end she was like everybody realized that she was telling the truth all along yes so look she's actually look she's an author and a psychic medium she does have a a website I will uh, although she doesn't talk about this case she's really like keeps it on the lowdown about her psychic detective work because I think to the police at this point really realized that she's she's the real deal and I did a little bit of you know looking into her and she started seeing spirits at the age of three and thing was I actually think she was from a Lutheran background that's kind of German isn't it well it's super religious and she was told that the spirits she was seeing were not real you know they tried to sort of tell her that it was it was not correct for in her faith for her to be seeing spirits yeah, yeah and she thought there was something wrong with her but then when she was eight years old the spirit of her deceased grandfather helped her escape from somebody who was trying to kidnap her a dude who was trying oh to kidnap God. her yeah really fucking scary and it was then that she realized that her she had a gift and that she was being protected by spirits and and as she got older, she she realised that what she was seeing were visions and dreams that were really connected to what was happening here on, you know, in this realm. 
So uh, she's been involved in quite a few psychic detective cases and maybe in the future we can we can talk about those. But Yeah, absolutely. She sounds absolutely fascinating. But she has like a rock solid reputation now with police for being accurate at like profiling and giving new perspectives on unsolved crimes, on cold cases. And she has worked with yeah, law enforcement agencies, lawyers, families, private investigators. So yeah, it's and she's written books actually, written written a lot of books too, which yeah, maybe I might take a look at. So like uh-huh. I said, I'll put a link to Christy in the show notes, but she is she's amazing. So Wow, yeah. Michelle. Thank you for that incredible incredible story. Are you listening to me? Why are you crying? Oh, dropping dropping trolley. Oh. Murdered. While you were telling me about about that story about psychic the psychic detective Christy Robinette. Robinette. Yeah. It brought up a lot of issues and oh. things that I, not issues, it brought up a lot of the things that I had recently watched on that bloody Netflix documentary, Surviving Death, which we touched on a few weeks ago because we talked about the, that episode when it was near death experiences, right? Yeah, we did. And look, I haven't watched any episodes further Doesn't than matter. the first one because I'm saving it up. And you save it up. Does that mean that I can't tell you some of the things no, that I please, saw in it? I'm excited. I mean, it will be a spoiler. And look, maybe a spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't spoiler. watched. But it's a conversation starter because your story about Robin Ed. Mrs. Robinette, Miss Robinette, Christy, Christy, Christy Robinette. They kind of talked about that a lot in this documentary. Each episode was on a different style of communicating with the dead or seeing the dead. Or, for example, there was an episode where people close to the end of their life would have those kinds of dreams and visions of people right there in front of them, they'd be talking to them. They could be weeks away, they could be days away, they could be hours away from their death and they would see as clear as day their loved ones talking to them and they would be soothing them and calming them to help them through to the other side. There's also another episode about loved ones sending messages back from the dead, right? Wow. Have you ever had an elderly relative or or somebody in your life who's, who has said or you've said together, when, you're di- when you die, will you show me a sign? that you're okay and had a had a response because I remember having that conversation with my nana okay what did your nana say she said I'll always make sure I'll let you know I'll let you know I'm I'm on the other side I'm always going to look after you I'm always watching over you she'd say things like that and also, I was always little and young when she was t- I mean I when she died I was about 20 I was in my 20s but yeah, I don't, I don't know if I ever got any messages, but I do know that uh, I had a sister who passed away. I didn't grow up with her. But when she died, some family members who were at her funeral were surrounded by butterflies. Yeah. And that was them feeling like they'd had a message. Well, I haven't, but actually Jen did. And I I hope I get this story right, because apparently I've got a few things wrong in recent times. Yeah. Jen got a bit upset with the last episode where I said so Jen. the hungy was in the backyard. It was apparently in Girilang, which is another suburb of Canberra. But anyway, okay. um, Apologies. But so, Jen, if I get this wrong, sorry, but I believe, if my memory serves me correctly, when my dad died and look, my parents were not together when he died. But I think that when he died, mum had said something like, oh, Fred, just give me a sign to let let me know you're all right on the other side. And um, 
the day after he died, she was out in the backyard hanging the washing and this butterfly circled around her and landed on her shoulder and she thought, oh, all right, Fred, yep. Yep, you're all wow. right. All right, then, you know, safe travels, hope you're at peace. And mum uh, felt quite comforted by that. Yeah. So yeah. I wonder if there is something about butterflies and, and that kind there of thing. There is. They okay. say that there really? is butterflies are one, yeah, absolutely. And birds Ooh. and things like that. Now, in what in the episode, I'm not going to go into great detail about that because I have something else to tell you. But in the meantime, I just want to quickly tell you this bit, which was there was a woman and her sister there mother was close to death and they said mum when you pass over send us a cardinal which is a bright red bird this is in america so the bird is from the from i think brazil or somewhere else a south american bird or something so very specific bird yes okay. but i think they're quite common in the states i don't mm-hmm. think we have them in europe and and the uk but uh anyway then there was a video on this episode of the woman and her sister with the bird because it had smacked into their window. They came out and said, oh, my God, this is our message. They picked it up, you know, dusted it off. So they're holding this bird and they're videoing it, the the two women, the sisters. And then they're saying, this was a message from our mother. And here she is. But thank you, birdie. And I kind of let let the bird go. That was enough for them. Yeah, The bird fucking went, it it went, did a 360 and came and landed back on the sister's (gasps) shoulder. Would not leave. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I know. And that was that was very emotional, I have to say. I, I shed a tear. Tear. But what I, I know, but what I wanted to tell you today is not exactly psychic detective, so apologies if I veered off topic, but it is about communicating with spirits. Okay. I've called it spirits in the material world because I am a police fan. We are spirits in, in the, the material, material world. world. I That's love it. that song. It's a great song. So this is episode five, Seeing Dead People. John Huckett, that's what it was called, Seeing Dead People. Okay. John Huckett, there's a guy who moved to a house in LA in the mid 80s and he knew from the start that there was an unusual energy in the house. For example, he would go into some parts of it and he'd feel like he was being sunburnt or he'd feel prickles all over his body top to toe or his hair would stand on, like feel like his hair was, he just knew there was some odd energies in the house. Yep. It does, he doesn't explain whether or not he was a believer in that kind of thing. Who knows what his background is? I only know what I saw on the dock and that it was just him describing this event. He needs Becca Bourne to go in and do a little saging. She needs to go and scrub or rub. What did they do? Scrub? Rub the sage? You have to burn the sage and rub it. It's like smudging, smudging, smudge. smudge. A smudge, yes. a rudge, a mudge. Okay. <laughs> needs Becca Bourne in there. Well, John didn't get Becca Bourne in. It was 1991. She had other things to do at that time <laughs> anyway he received he received for christmas that year a polaroid camera from his dad Ooh, I love right those. they're great aren't they one day john was in his house when his bathroom door just inexplicably opened this was really weird because number one the door there was no one else in the house with him and number two to get that door open you needed to lift a rug and you could see underneath the rug there was all this marked floorboards because it was kind of raised up a little bit there you had to really yank it back Mm -hmm. so he was like oh that is odd the door doesn't normally just open by itself so he picked up his camera for whatever reason and he snapped a picture okay on his Polaroid. And what came out in the photo was a large blob of light. So he took a few more and they're all the same. Now, John wrote this off as a practical joke from his dad, who was a bit of a joker. 
He thought, oh, yeah, this is hilarious. Dad's done something to the film. Okay. That's what's happening here. Then a friend came round and saw the photos and said, let's take a couple more. So he shot pictures of John yeah. standing in that area. The same thing appeared. And they oh, kept fuck. going with these pictures, right, oh, until they ran out of film. So they changed the film and they thought, well, it's not going to happen anymore because we're using a different film. So, yeah, ha-ha, Dad, thanks for the blob of light ruining all these pictures. So they took some more. And, of course, on this new film, the fucking blob was there again. And that's when they started to feel a little bit unsettled. Oh, my God. (laughs) After a couple of weeks, the two friends had been experimenting with this the whole time. They started to think they ought to share the information. So they invited a few friends around to show them the photos. A couple of people who turned up were on the sceptical side, fair enough. So they said, you know, thinking that there might be a ghost in the room. They said, oh, yeah, if you're a blob of light, are you here now, blob? And uh, one of the other friends said, oh, why don't we find out? Let's take a picture. So they took a picture to the friend's shock and surprise. Not only was there a blob in the photo, in fact, there was no blob. Instead, it was white smoke that spelt out Y-E-S. No! Yes, Michelle, that spells yes. Oh, my God! What the hell? So they were beside themselves. So then somebody else said, what is your name? Snapped a picture. Right. W-R-I-G-H-T in capitals. Oh, my God. Yeah. I saw the photos. They show you in the documentary. It's amazing. Holy shit. The friends were so off their head with dismay and disbelief and petrified as well. Yeah. So then somebody else said, "Are you?" they've decided it's a ghost. Are you a good ghost or a bad ghost? Another another photo snapped. It said, friend. Oh, well, that's I am, nice. Another, nice. I think it said in the same photo, I am here for you. Oh, oh. But Goosebumps. John says, yeah, I know. John says that once the talking started, that changed everything. Yeah. Okay. So they went down to the Hall of Records to see if they could find anybody with the name of Wright. Because back in 91, they couldn't do what we do, Michelle. They couldn't, couldn't do the Googling. Google. They had to go into a Hall of Records. <laughs> and they found the name that Wright... They found loads of rights associated with the property, about four, but none of them had died and they weren't, basically, they weren't the right rights. Okay. Then they began to hold Polaroid parties where people would come and bring their Polaroid cameras and compare photos. But they discovered that unless it was a Spectra camera and had Spectra film, that nothing would show up. Okay. Well, I was going to say, do you remember how expensive Polaroid film is? They were, yes. And especially back in 91, that would have cost an arm and a leg, but worth it to see these ghosts. I would would have spent all my pocket money on that. They they ended up snapping between 11 and (gasps) 12,000 pictures. But then they stopped making Spectra film, so that was the end of it. They had so many. So once they stopped making the Spectra film, they could not take the pictures of these ghosts anymore. But there were so many, and they had mess. Each one had a message. (gasps) It was insane. Holy shit! You know though that like these Polaroids degrade over time. So I hope they. I hope they. You know, kept them safe. Well, they were there to be seen. You can see them in the documentary. Wow. Anyway, John thinks that it could be the chemical makeup of that specific spectra film or it could have been their minds doing it. How their minds can do it, I don't know. How their minds going to do right in white don't smoke? No. No, come on. It's a ghost. But some of the messages, some of the messages said things like rethink your beliefs, love is love, anything is possible. These are some of the things. I'm sorry, that- it sounds like in like a bad Instagram account with those self-help <laughs> messages. Think, dream, love, you know, cook, cook with love and laughter. <laughs> 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 anyway, 
anyway, wow. that was a really fascinating episode. But then I was drawn to the next hang episode. Hang on, hang on. What was, was the upshot of that episode? That's it. They ran out of film. They didn't make the film anymore. The end. No. Oh, fuck it. So they never found the right right. The right right. No, oh, bloody they didn't. Hell. All right. Yeah. But maybe they just overlooked something. Who knows? Mm, mm. But then the next episode, episode six, is about reincarnation, Michelle. Where do you stand on that? Oh, I believe. I believe. I believe uh-huh. we are just recycled souls. I think we all come back. Yeah. Well, it's very similar to your um, Abraham Hicks idea in the yeah. end, isn't it? Because you said with the Abraham and Esther Hicks thing is that we're all part of this in- enormous energy and it kind of bops down, bops back up, bops up and down yeah. and you inhabit different shells, which is your body and you're, yeah. you're learning all the way along. Anyway, this episode was stunning. And again, spoilers, I'm really sorry if you want to watch this. Perhaps you can watch it anyway, just to make sure that I'm telling the truth. But there was a lady called Erica O. Oberry, her name is, and her five-year-old son, Atlas, and at aged about 18 months, that's a year and a half for those who don't do the maths, <laughs> Atlas would experience night terrors with his eyes open. Now, my daughter used to do that, but I think that was because she had um, breathing difficulties. It was f- horrifying. I've never had night terrors, but they sound fucking horrific and when you've got a child that's screaming like he's in pain their eyes open too eyes open you can't you can't you can't help them Mm. and these things would happen to poor atlas for up to an hour at a time (gasps) the poor mother jesus christ yeah yeah horrific so they saw doctors and pediatricians no one knew what was going on and then you know gradually the night terrors subsided but at about age five one day atlas was in the back of his car the mum's car staring silently out the window when suddenly he piped up with I miss when my mum took me to the playground. Erica looked at him and said, well, she just thought he was getting a bit confused. So she said, what, you mean me? And he said, no, the other one with the pretty hair. (gasps) So Erica thought he was just talking nonsense, which five-year-olds do, let's face it. But eventually Atlas began talking about his other mum. And when asked her name by his mum, Erica, she said it was Washington. But my name was Jalen Robinson and someone killed me. (gasps) That's what he said. Oh, my God. God. So poor Erica did was able to take to the Googling. She Googled the name and found an obituary from a young boy who was murdered in 2005. <gasps> and his mother, mother's name was Karen Washington. Oh, my God. Poor Jalen was from Brooklyn, New York, and had been beaten and suffocated to death by a babysitter oh, in 2005. Jesus Christ. When he was 19 months old really sad this led erica to do some more googling and she eventually found a man called dr jim tucker who's a child psychiatrist at the university of virginia school of medicine now he has been researching children who claim to have memories of past lives for about 20 odd years and the reason why he chooses children is because they're a better subject they have more fresher memories and they don't have any kind of knowledge of things like Genghis Khan or Marie Antoinette so they're not going to think oh yes I was a I was Tutankhamun or you know they're not going to have those kind of past life memories because they don't know anything about it so and they're very genuine so that's why he's been doing he's devised a range of tests so he turned up to Atlas's house and he did show him he did the research himself about the the lady Karen Washington and her deceased son Jalen, and he got photos of people who looked like her and her. He had pictures of the area where he was brought brought up. Yep. 
and the areas around the playgrounds that he went to and other similar playgrounds. He showed Atlas all of these pictures. Yeah. Atlas was told to pick which ones he recognised. And without any hesitation, he chose each time. Now, most of the time, Dr. Tucker says most of the time, children don't get five out of five. But Atlas did. And he seemed confident. There was no hesitation in choosing the correct photos. He seemed natural and genuine. And there was no coaching from his mother. Mm-hmm. Dr. Tucker says that he starts from a place of scepticism mm-hmm. and he studies each case as objectively and scientifically as he possibly can. Tucker also says he's become convinced through his work that there is more than just the physical world, that there is a larger reality. Yeah, I hear you. I'm yeah. with you. Interesting. Totally. So there were two more boys on the program. There was a 15-year-old called Ryan Hammonds who's at age five claimed he used to live in Hollywood. His family said that as a little boy, Ryan also experienced terrible nightmares and would cry and ask, at five years old, saying, I want to go home. Where are my children? Oh. (laughs) (laughs) So his parents would be like, huh? He'd tell his his family stories of his previous life, that he lived in Hollywood. He was an agent and friends with lots of Hollywood people. So eventually they got this book out of like the golden age of Hollywood. And he was flicking through it and he found a photo he said, oh, that's my friend George. It was George Raft, the actor. In the photo, it was a still from a film called Night After Night. There was another man who was a bit part actor. And he said, that's me. <laughs> so they looked into it and they couldn't find out the name of this man because he wasn't famous as an actor. So they tried and searched and searched. So the family, the father was a preacher, so he was completely unaccepting of this. Yeah, right. The family still tried to find out who the man was. So this is throwing their whole religion into... Into chaos, yeah. Into chaos, yeah. Eventually, they, they two came into contact with Dr. Tucker and eventually they discovered that the man's name was... Marty Martin. He was a man who died. Ryan said he died about six, age 61, but the death was actually, the death certificate actually said 59. But when the family and Dr. Tucker did the research, they found that there were some indiscrepancies. Ooh. And he was actually 61 when he <gasps> died. So the little boy was right. He was right. Now, Ryan is now 15 and he is very reticent to, to discuss As any of would this. Be. Can you imagine? Yeah. Exactly. But his mum at some point did track down Marissa Martin, who is Marty's only surviving or Marty's daughter. Mm -hmm. And they went to Hollywood to meet her. But that was after they had sent sheets of facts. Okay. They (laughs) sent sheets of facts that um, Marissa was went through and she was ticking each one saying, well, that's true, but that's not true. Eventually, she she did find out that things that she had deemed as being not true were actually true on later reflection. She discovered she thought he didn't have a green car. Turns out he did have a green car. Other things like that. Oh, my God. So anyway, the mum took Ryan to Hollywood to meet Marty's niece as well as Marissa, the daughter. Mm -hmm. Now, the niece was older, so she knew Marty as an adult. She was keen to meet this little boy. So I think they had their hopes quite high. And when they did sit down and meet the mum and the son, yeah. it was really awkward. Yeah, cool. And they were keen to ask questions and things. And they were, re- I think they were disappointed in the end that Ryan just couldn't answer any of their questions. Mm. And he seemed really uncomfortable. But for him, I think it was more of he just wanted to be there to put some things to bed for him. Because obviously, Wait, but was you know, this when he was 15, this happened? Yeah. Yeah, yeah because exactly. you know, he's, a, he's an awkward teenager. He's not, Yeah, yeah, so awkward. Whereas if he had been five... You know, he yeah. probably would have been a garrulous little chatty boy. and He could know. have been, yeah, mm. more forthcoming. Exactly. So that was a disappointment. Now, the final boy I'm going to tell you about was a guy called J- James Leininger. 
I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. So he, like the other two cases, would also wake with horrific nightmares of dying in in a plane crash that crashed into the sea. So his parents are beside themselves. This poor kid is absolutely traumatized. And he eventually later on says that he felt like there were two people living inside of him. And his parents, also religious, tried their best to understand and discover what was going on. So poor old James, he seemed to know more about planes than any adult that he knew at the age of five. And he would also draw shockingly realistic pictures of war scenes, planes taking off, ships. And he'd be giving the information to his parents. Yeah. You know, his name, where he's from. He'd sign his name, James Three. When his mum asked him, why why would you say James Three? He said, because I'm the third James. And he told them that he was a pilot in the war, in World War II. Eventually, they discovered that he was located in Japan and that he was on a ship called Natoma. Now, when his dad said to him, is that a Japanese ship? He, he looked at him like he was mad and said, no, it's American. So his dad, who had kept a timeline of all this information. Yeah. This kid also told him his dad how to make napalm bombs as well. Oh, age five. Jesus. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, they did some Googling of their own and they, after about 400 hits, they discovered that in 1945 at the Battle of Iwo Jima, there was a squadron where only one man had died and that man was an, a pilot named James Houston Jr. <gasps> that makes James the third James. Right. <gasps> they went to a reunion and they met some of the old squadron. They fought, contacted James's family his Mm -hmm. sister and she felt very strongly that the young James was her brother reincarnated wow so when he was still young they went to the site of where James Jr had been killed and had an emotional memorial on a boat where they kind of like spoke about you know this is where James Jr had been uh, killed etc and then something and and the little boy he was only about six or seven or something at the time he was sobbing his heart it was really sad and eventually once they got back on dry land something clicked inside him and he was a normal little boy again it was like he put the whole thing to bed but he never got over of that feeling and the dreams Mm. that he had and that feeling of fear and dread of the plane going down Oh my god. In the god. moments where James James the second actually died. Holy shit. Do you know what? I'm not sure if this is the same story that I had previously looked into but not talked about on the podcast from a series called The Ghost in My Child. Could be. Now and and there was a little boy, and I'm not sure if it was the same one, who had visions of being in the war and killed in the war and he would come yeah, out with things him. saying incoming incoming and oh. and words that he had never heard before yeah. from any adult and there's no reason and he would have this sophisticated language and the parents were really freaked out by it but I don't know if it's the same one but it sounds similar but there are hundreds of children who have experienced this like Dr James Tucker just look into his research and like I said he's coming from a place of science it's so interesting to hear I you know I would love to get in touch with this guy and ask him you know does he have any other cases because he does yeah but like I, I want to talk to him because this to me okay. is fascinating I hope my sister doesn't get upset about me talking about this but one of her little girls when when she was born and maybe maybe around six months old our father had just died recently 
And my sister said there was this one corner of the room where the little baby would always be looking up and smiling and gurgling and like she was talking to someone. And there was... They were living in this apartment, the the one on Dank Street, actually, uh, yeah. that we talked about in the last episode. And she said there was absolutely nothing wrong with this buzzer. But when when the baby would start sort of gurgling and looking at this corner, the buzzer would go buzz, 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 oh buzz, and start doing all these weird noises. And there was no Holy one down cow. there. There was no one buzzing the buzzer. And um, and just weird, weird things going on. And then that stopped as well. So, look, I think children are more maybe an open vessel to accepting yeah. either messages or seeing things. Because like you said yeah. at the beginning, they don't have any preconceived ideas. They don't have any knowledge of history or whatever. They're just very, very open and innocent. So, fuck. Great cases. Great cases, Jordan. Thank you. Well, I just watched I just watched a TV show. But <laughs> what what it made me think was, you know, that there is a thin veil. We've spoken yeah. about that before. Mm. Now I don't really know how I feel about it. I like to believe that these people aren't aren't having us on. For whatever reason, they are experiencing those things, and perhaps it's memories that are just out there. Perhaps they are psychic. Maybe their part of their brain is more active than yours or mine, and we don't have those messages, but they do. Maybe there isn't somebody else living inside them. Maybe, um, but this is again with going back to your psychic detective at the top of the show. This is the way of the dead are able to communicate with us still if there's unfinished business or if they're if it's an echo or a memory of the energy that they once held on the mortal plane. Yeah. I mean, I know it sounds airy fairy and I'm quite practical generally, but I do I do have a tendency to believe that, you know, our souls are quite magnificent and special. Our bodies are disposable. Yeah. But the things that make us who are who we are. That's the amazing part of us. And I, I hate the idea that once we're gone, we're gone. I just don't believe that we are. I mean, you know, we talked about this where Andreas had said, yeah, you're burned or you're buried and then it's it. It's over. And For your body, yeah. Your body is. But, you know, there is – if you cut open a body, you, you, can, you can pick out the heart, you can pick out the brain, but you cannot pick out – the energy that makes us, that animates us, that makes exactly, us who we the are. animation. That, yeah. And the personality, you can't, you know, slice open a brain and go, here's the personality, like yeah. blood and, and and flesh. Like it's an And find an a organ. little microchip 5G from, <laughs> from a vaccine or something. <laughs> the little nanobots inside us. But, <laughs> but, you know, it, you cannot physically find what animates us and and that is the spirit I believe and where does it go when we die like electricity I guess you know it you can't figure out like no that's a terrible terrible analogy but no I but I get it and I think for anyone who is inquisitive and we all should be I suppose at some point in our lives 
I think this Netflix doc- documentary, Surviving Death, is actually really interesting. It does go a little bit crazy, episode two and three, but then we come back with the reincarnation or with the near death, not near death, but the um, the experiences, the visions and dreams of people who are approaching death. And if it makes them feel comfort, what is wrong with that? If they feel that they're actually being visited by their loved ones and it's going to guide them through the next phase, then that is a good thing. It's unfortunate that there are little boys that are suffering yeah. nightmares. That's awful. I can't bear the thought of that. But that's not loved ones. That's someone wanting to be put to rest in a way. So, you know, that that little boy was facilitating, you know, a, an, an unsettled spirit and, and, and helping to, you know, put, you know, RIP that spirit. But... It sounds to me, and I and I will watch this series, but it sounds to me like what it does is make people ask questions. And I think that's never a bad idea. And also, I, I genuinely believe that if you think that what you can see is all there is, it's... That's crazy. It, it, you know, just look at dogs and all the senses they have. You know, they hear things we can't hear. What makes us think there are things that we can't... See, just because we can't see or hear it, it doesn't exist. I think we all have to have an open mind. Well, certainly I. I do. But it, it is scary because we are scared of the unknown. So, yeah, there, there it is. <gasps> well, thank you, Geordie. I love those stories. I love them. I think we should do an thank episode you. on reincarnation down the yeah, line. Yeah, let's do it. Down the line. Guys, If eavesdroppers, hello, are you still with me? Um, <laughs> if you like what you hear, and you have a certain subject that you'd like us to investigate, Google. <laughs> yeah. then please get in touch at hello at eavesdropping, no G, podcast.com. Yes. It's our email address and one of us will get back to you. We love to hear from you. And you can check us out on YouTube, on Instagram, Spotify, Facebook, Spotify, all the normal places you listen. Google Podcasts. Yes, all of et it. Et cetera. And of course, follow the Instagram. Yes. It's, uh, what is it? Eavesdropping underscore. underscore. Yep. Where you'll see all our crazy videos. Oh, <laughs> I love the, the recent one of you. What was it? Eavesdropping. Where the bloody hell are you? Well, now that is that. It's quite funny because we're both at our day jobs, aren't we? I'm yeah. caring for an old man. You're in a restaurant. Yes. <laughs> I love the fact that I've got a little like certain kind of toilet seat <laughs> when I'm dropping the kids off at the pool. Dropping the kids off anyway. at the pool. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's enough from us. You're Snogan. <laughs> You're the Snogan. I think we're probably both Snogans at heart, aren't we? Do you know what? I'm not a bogan. I'm just a bitch. <laughs> Yeah, yes. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, not really. All right, Mish. Well, I'm going to love you and leave you and the rest of you eavesdroppers. And we'll see you next time on Eavesdropping. 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 Eavesdropping.